Lord, bless your word tonight. God, I ask as we learn, as we learn in your word and look into your word and study it, that you would grow us, that you would transform us, God, that you would stir our hearts for you even more, God. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the touch tonight already, Lord. And we ask you to touch your word right now. Anoint your word with your Holy Spirit. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen. One father told her eight-year-old daughter to finish the last of six green beans left on her plate. Normally, she eats all her veggies, and normally it wouldn't be such a big issue, but the dad was a little irked by her pushy attitude that day. Well, the girl replied, Dad, I'm full to the top. The dad said, you won't pop. That just happened to rhyme. Uh, girl pushed, the girl, little girl pushed the issue and said, yes, I will pop. I can't eat another bite. So the father tried another tactic. Knowing what was for dessert, he said, how about a double portion of the pumpkin pie squares with Two, not one, but two scoops of whipped cream on top of each one. Well, that sounds great, said the little girl. And she pushed her plate back, getting ready for the dessert. With this, the father tried to logically say, Now, wait a minute. How can you say you have room for pumpkin pie squares, but not have room for six little green beans? She, that makes sense, right? No. <laughs> She stood up tall at that point, out of her chair, pointed to portions of her belly, saying this, this is my vegetable stomach. And over here, this is, pointing to an area next to it, this is my meat stomach. And over here now is my dessert stomach. It is empty, and it is hungry for dessert. I like that one. I, I, we all have that little dessert stomach, don't we? Even though we're full, we want that extra dessert. Well, there is that physical hunger, yes, and, but there's also, you know what, a spiritual hunger. There's a part of us that, that is empty, that needs to be filled with God. It's like people say there's a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and it's true. Only God can fill that part in our heart. For in Psalm 107.9, it says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And you know what that is? That is God himself. Jesus even said in Matthew 5.6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so there is that God-shaped hole in heart. There is that emptiness that really God created us with. God created us with this yearning for a relationship with him. That, that's how he created us. He had a relationship with Adam and Eve all the way at the beginning. And so down through the ages, today we have that yearning also. Sometimes we try and fill it with other things. But nothing will satisfy, nothing will make us content but God himself. Well, as we return to our study in the book of Acts, we come to this pivotal chapter, you remember. We started it last week. It's where Peter, this Jewish man, shares with Cornelius, this Gentile man, you know, at the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's a pivotal time here in the book of Acts where God is now reaching out to the Gentiles. Before the Jews were getting saved, remember? And then the Samaritan, there was a Samaritan revival a couple of chapters back or, or so. And now God is reaching out to the Gentiles. Remember, there was, it, that was the vision, right? This was the mission. This is what Jesus said way back in Acts chapter 1-8, that the Holy Spirit will come, power will come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, right, in the city, Judea, the area or the county in there in Israel, to Samaria, now outside, right? The Samaritans were the half-Jews, they despised half-Jews, and then now out into the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8 says, and now it's going out to the Gentiles. So this is, this is we come to this pivotal part where Gentiles are first time going to be saved in Christ Jesus. And it's all because, you know why? Of Cornelius. Cornelius, he has this, the God-hungry heart. And that's the title of our message tonight, the God-hungry heart. 
We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10, verse 23 to the end of the chapter 48. So we're going to be moving through this time, this, the rest of this chapter here in, in our time here tonight. So the God-hungry heart, and that's what, 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 what we're seeing. The result of that is Gentiles getting saved and Cornelius being the first one. Well, tonight we're going to see three things, and uh, this is our points and our outline. Number one, the God-arranged meeting, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and number three, the gracious baptism of the Spirit. So those three things we're going to be seeing in our passage, in this passage here. Let's begin here, the God-arranged meeting, the God-arranged meeting. First of all, we're going to see that. And this here we're going to cover verse 23 to verse 33 in this section. 23 to verse 33. But let's pick it up here in verse 23 first of all. Acts 10, 23. It says, So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And we'll stop right there. Now, I'm beginning with verse 3. I know we ended with verse 3 last week. But if you remember, I said this is a transitional verse here. And I wanted to come back to it. And that's what I meant. As it helps us to get into the rest of this passage. And, and Luke is writing here how Peter invited these three men in to stay with him as guests. Now, if you remember, these three men came to Joppa where Peter was staying with that other tanner named Simon. And, and last time we saw in chapter 10 at the beginning, verse 1, that Cornelius, remember this, gen, this centurion, he's a Gentile. He was a seeker of God. He lived in Caesarea, 30 miles north. Well, he had a vision from the Lord. And it, the angel came and told him that he needs to send some guys to Joppa, where Peter is, and send for him, bring him back up to Caesarea. So That was the vision. Now, uh, that Cornelius, this centurion, this commander of 100 Roman soldiers, this Gentile, God spoke to. But you remember it says in verse 1 that he was, uh, or verse 2, he was a devout man who feared God with his household. And and he he would give tithes and he worshiped God the best he could. But he wasn't saved, and we're going to see that in the next chapter. But he was a seeker of God, and so the Lord met him and said, Hey, send some guys, go get Peter, and, and bring him up there. And then we see in the next part of chapter 10 and verse 9 that God gives Peter a vision of this sheet that comes down from heaven, and there's all kind of animals on it. There's clean and unclean, kosher and unkosher animals, as you know, no, the Jews and the, from the Old Testament law could only eat certain animals. And then the Lord tells Peter, hey, kill and eat. Go ahead, barbecue, eat these things, you know. And he's like, no, Lord, no, no. And remember, that's two words you, you shouldn't say to the Lord, no and Lord, right? But he's like, no way, no way. But, but the Lord says, no, what I say, what's clean, you know, it's clean. What I say, it's okay to eat, then eat. And three times he sees this vision. Now, after that, right then when he's pondering that vision, these men show up. And so these men show up, and Peter goes down. The Holy Spirit tells me, hey, these guys have come here. Go meet them. And so they tell him, hey, Cornelius, the centurion, had this vision. We're here to bring you back to his house. So that's what the story is, is going on. As we come into verse 23, he invited them in to stay there. It was probably late in the day. But first thing now, the next day they arose, and he went, went away with them. And he also took, it says, some brothers from Joppa, where he was staying, some other Jewish Christian guys, went with Peter to Caesarea, to the centurion's house there in that city. Uh, later, we're going to see in uh, Acts 11 that there was actually six guys that went with Peter, six Jewish Christian guys that went with them as Peter traveled with these three other guys that uh, uh, Cornelius, the centurion, had sent. So they all travel now back to Caesarea. So verse 24, we come into verse 24. Oh, wait, before we go there, remember, God has been changing Peter's heart, Right? There was a groundbreaking heart change. That was the, the, the title of our message last week. And, and this was the final work in Peter's heart to break down that prejudice against the Gentiles. He grew up as a good Jewish 
boy. Uh, he's a Jewish man. He's saved now, but he still was holding on to a lot of these Jewish uh, ways, that the way he grew up. But God chose Peter to be the pioneer apostle to bring the first Gentiles to find salvation in Jesus Christ. God chose Peter here. Now later, the story uh, in the book of Acts is going to change to focus on Paul, who was the apostle to the Gentiles, and we'll see his story. But Peter was the pioneer guy. He was the pioneer missionary to the Gentiles. Now, God is sending Peter, think about this, this devout Jewish man to step into a Jewish city, which usually they avoid. Remember, avoid. Remember, I mentioned that that they don't go into Gentile city. And Caesarea is a, a main city of the Roman Empire. There's a military presence there. Herod had kind of built it up into this nice resort. It's a beautiful place. We've been there in, in um, on our trips to Israel. It, it's just ancient ruins now, but he made a port and everything and all that. But here's God sending Peter, this devout Jewish man, in, to step into a Gentile city, which they usually avoid, and then actually go into a Gentile house, which Jews never do that. If you go into a Gentile's house, you would be considered defiled. But remember, God is doing something here. He's, he's bringing together the church with all kinds of people group. He's making one church. In other words, you know, when Acts happened and a church happened, it wasn't just some Jewish church, a Jewish Christian church. Remember, the Samaritans began to get saved. And, and there was a Samaritan revival. And so it wasn't just Jews and Samaritans who were always separate. Now they're coming together in Christ. Well, now, now God is adding the Gentiles, the Gentiles. I mentioned this before, and I think even Sunday. Remember, originally Israel was chosen to be a light into the world. God separated them out so they could be God's people and they could be God's missionary in the world. But they, that, they separated them, God separated them, but they went into separation. Uh, they separated themselves into isolation and they failed to stick to the original mission. So they were more like pushing people away. Well, God is changing all of that in Christ. And that's what we're seeing here. This is why it's such a pivotal uh, chapter here. In a way, I think you know, some Christians even today are like that. It's that same attitude of, is festering in today's Christian circles. Isolation, prejudice. Um, it's not that we excuse sin, but we must be willing to reach out to share Jesus so those who are lost in sin can be saved. So I, I like what the Lord is doing here because we should take note that we shouldn't be like how the Jews were or even the Pharisees were in Jesus' time. All right, now we could go to verse 24. It says, On the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and, and called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered... Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Verse 26, but Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. All right, so they went out, they traveled to Caesarea, this group of men, and they entered Caesarea. They went to Cornelius' house and there we see Cornelius here in verse 24 was expecting them. He was waiting, in other words, for them to come. He was waiting in expectation. And look what it says. He had called together his relatives and close friends. Isn't that awesome? He was so excited, right, about Peter coming. So excited. Probably shared with his relatives, his family. We know his household uh, there back in uh, verse 2. Uh, they were God-fearing people. Today we're trying to follow the Lord too or follow the one true God. And, and so he, invite, he probably told them, oh, I had this vision about Peter and he got excited and, and then his close friends too. And so here's a man who shares his passion for God or, or his, his, his wanting to know God, his, you know, his loyalty, his devoutness to the Lord. And here he's sharing and he's sharing with his other guys and they all come too, his relatives and close friends. I like that kind of zeal. I mean, we should have that too, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we have a zeal 
and, and share our God-hungry hearts too. And this is, this is Cornelius with that God-hungry heart. All right, so in verse 25, Peter entered, and that's huge. Peter entered what? His house. Peter entered a Gentile house. Remember, Peter's heart's been changing, right? He went to Samaria. He prayed for the Spirit to go upon him. Oh, Samaritans? Wow, it's been changing his heart. We've been following that in our study in the book of Acts. He, he's doing things not a normal Jewish man would do. And here he's entering in now a Gentile house. And this is huge. So he comes in. And then right away, Cornelius, the centurion, this commander of a hundred men, he meets Peter and falls down at his feet. And it says he actually worshipped him. Cornelius is like, whoa, here's a man of God. Here's, you know, remember, Cornelius isn't saved. He doesn't understand everything. He's just, he's just doing what he thinks would be right and proper and worships Peter. And what does Peter do? Peter, in verse 26, lifts him up saying, hey, stand up. I'm a man just like you. I, too, am a man. You know, hey, hey, no, don't do that. You know, I like that. Peter, you know, I liked how he humbled himself here. He didn't kind of milk this like, oh, I like this. Oh, yeah, you better worship. You know, when I preached, 3,000 people got saved. 5,000 people got saved when I preached, right? Or, you know, when I pray, the Holy Spirit falls upon the people. Remember John and Peter went to pray for the Samaritans, and they were, they were baptized and filled with the Spirit. Or remember the last chapter, he prayed in Tabitha, right? He ro- rose from the dead when he prayed. And so he could have milked all this. He could have, like, yeah, you know, look at me, kind of did. You know, look what I did. But he humbled himself, himself and he said, Look, no, 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 I'm just a guy like, like, you, like you. It's not about me. It's not me. And I think we need to do the same and be careful that we don't prop ourselves up when actually it's Jesus Christ. He's the power, right? He's the one behind Peter. He's the one working through Peter. It's the Holy Spirit. Do you remember in Acts chapter 3 back then when, when Peter heal that disabled beggar, right? And, and, you know, rise up and walk, and he got healed. He'd been there for years in front of the, the, the gates of the temple. You remember that? And all the people came flocking to Peter and John right there. And then Peter's like, wait, wait, you guys, don't, don't look at us like we made this man walk. No, no. It wasn't our own power. It wasn't like we're, we're godly or holy or anything like that. What did he say later on in his message? He said, no, this was by the name of Jesus. The man was healed by the power of Jesus. It was Jesus who did this. It was Jesus who healed him. So here's Peter, right? Some people, they consider him like the first pope, right, kind of thing. But not Peter's not, oh, kiss the ring. No, it's none of that, right? No, he humbles himself. He points to Jesus. He said, no way, I'm just a man. There's nothing special about me. It's about Jesus. All right, verse 27. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should call I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So we see Peter now. He, he, he tells Cornelius, no, get up, get up. And then he, he goes into the room, probably 
uh, Cornelius met him at the door. He goes into the room and he sees all these persons, all these people gathered, the relatives, the family, the friends, everybody, the close friends and all. And then he, he has to tell them, right? He, he has to, the first thing he says is how very unusual this is. This is not normal, you guys. That's what he's saying. He walks in, you know, he's like, hey, you guys, I'm here. But you, you have to understand, this is very unusual. For this Jew to step into a Gentile house, a house filled with other Gentiles, that, that, that's not normal. This isn't what I would normally do. But he explains, you know what, I'm here. And they, they understand that. They know how the Jews are like. But here's this Jewish man in a Gentile house. And, and he explains, but you know what, I'm here because God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean or, or not kosher. It goes along with his vision, right? He's, in a sense, he's saying, you know, God has shown me that, that no one, no one is to be pushed out. That there is, shouldn't be any prejudice at all. That no one is unreachable. Peter should not be here, he's saying. But let me tell you, God is doing something here. That's like what Peter's putting out. You know, the interesting thing I learned this week is that the Jews believed when a Gentile woman had an abortion, they would flush the fetus down the drain. And so any contact with a Gentile home was defilement to a Jew because of a dead body. So that's why they would not go into a Gentile home. It was just their thinking. Because they, if you were to touch a dead body, you were defiled, you had to be ritually clean, and they just took it to, the, to, to the, the worst. But Peter goes right in, and he's saying, basically, look, God is doing something here. God's doing this. I'm here because of God. Not me, but God is doing something here, or I would not be here. So Peter says, when I was sent for, I came without objection because God was moving in me. And then he says, I asked then in verse 29, why you sent for me? In other words, how is it that you sent for me? In other words, tell me what happened. Tell, tell me what's going on here. So even though the guys had told him what the vision of the centurion, he just, he just wants to hear it, you know, face to face with Cornelius and, and with everyone there. And he's, he's like, okay, so, so what's going on? What, tell me what happened. So Cornelius explains the story in verse 30 and 33, right? We know the story. We studied it last week, basically, uh, about this hour, uh, the, the ninth hour, right, 3 o'clock p.m., when normally is one of the prayer times for the Jews. Cornelius, this Gentile, was praying. An angel came with bright clothing, uh, glowing from the glory of heaven, this angel and the angel told, hey, told him, your prayer's been heard, your alms, your gifts, they've been remembered before God. They, uh, God's seen what you've done, how you honor God, how, how you try and help people, how you give. And so, you know, God has an answer for you. And remember, we, we learned or, or I, we studied and most likely that Cornelius was praying that he wanted to be closer to God. He wanted to really know God. He was a seeker. He, 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 he you know, just... Doing these rituals wasn't enough. He wanted more for God. He had a God-hungry heart. He wanted more. So the angel had this message from the Lord. Hey, send some guys to Joppa. Ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's, he's staying at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And we, there's another thing we learned at the end of chapter 9, that for Simon to stay at this tanner, a guy who skins dead animals, that's a huge thing. A Jew would never really stay in a house like that, because they would be defiled, dead animals. So anyway, so Cornelius said, so I sent for you, and look, verse 33, and I like this, you've been kind enough to come. You know, I, I like those words. It's very respectful. It's, it's very, um, uh, just very uh, nice, you know, nice thing to say. Thank you for coming and taking the time, basically. And then, this is amazing, he says, now, therefore, we are all here. We're here. We've come waiting for you. And then it says, in the presence of God. You know what the NLT actually says here? That 
um, we're waiting before God. That's how the NLT uh, uh, translates it. Like they were waiting for God to move here. So they're all gathered here. Maybe even they're having some sort of prayer meeting. But we're all here in the presence of God. And I like this. To hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. They have open ears in what? Hungry hearts. They're hungry to hear the word of the Lord through Peter. I love that. That's a God-hungry heart. These are God-hungry hearts. Here's Gentiles, right, meeting together, seeking the one true God. You know what? Only God can make this happen, right? We, we're seeing this story unfold. We, we started last week. We see it now all coming all together, how God met this God-hungry heart of Cornelius. And then God gave a vision to Peter to send him here to change his heart completely. That No, Gentiles are, are okay. That sheet with all the animals was a lesson for him to say, look, Gentiles are okay. They're not unclean. They can be saved too. And so God, in his arrangement here, is bringing them together. Only God can make this happen. Two different worlds come face to face by the God-arranged meeting. And that's the point I want you to see. Two different worlds come face to face by the God-arranged meeting. Only God can do a thing like that. Only God can bring us, bring them together like that. And you know, in our church too, only God can bring us together. Yeah? People from different walks of life. People from different backgrounds. People from different, different worlds. But we all come together as one. And as I, I talked to you about last week, right, that this is God bringing the church together as one, Jew and Gentile. I talked about that, how the, the wall separation that the Jews had built up is being broken down. And now Jew and Gentile, or in the New Testament, they'll say Jew and Greek, are being brought together. The Samaritans, the despised Samaritans, are being thrown into that mix also. And also the Gentiles. And this is the moment that we're seeing that God is reaching out to the Gentiles and opening that door to the Gentiles. And only God can make this happen. Two different worlds come face to face by the God-arranged meeting. On one hand, we have Peter submitted to God, right? Surrendered. Right? First, he's like, no, Lord, I, I'm not sure. But God showed him three times to reiterate, to underline. And what did Peter do? He came immediately. Okay, Lord. He got it. He understood. His heart was changed to accept Gentiles. His prejudice was broken down, thrown out. Now he's open to the Lord for Gentiles to be saved. And then here on the other side, so we have Peter on one side, a surrendered will. And then here we have Cornelius, a God-hungry heart. And God answers his prayer and brings these two together so that Cornelius and everyone in that room could be saved. Two different roads come face to face by the God-arranged meeting. I read about an old chief of a, a Nagoni tribe in Africa, and he told the missionary there how he remembered the days of the bloody battles against the Nisenga and Tumbaka tribes. He was talk. He he reminisced how they left the trail of burned towns, dead bodies, uh, all kinds of carnage going on. But during this communion service, where he was sharing with the missionary, the chief says, "Once we shed each other's blood, but now because of the blood of Christ, we are one." I like that. The barriers that built up because of hate and anger. Jesus broke down their walls between the tribes and the walls were crushed by what? Love. By love. That's what God is doing here now. There's so much hatred between Jews and Gentiles. There's so much animosity. But God was breaking all that down and bringing love and bringing everybody under the blood of Christ. And it all happened because there's a submitted will of Peter, of his submitted heart, a changed heart, and there was the hungry heart of Cornelius. 
I love this. I, I, I think we, we need to stop and think about that. Perhaps God wants to use you to bring together two parties. Perhaps maybe God is changing your heart. I mean, a lot of us grow up with, with prejudices. Yeah. Perhaps God wants you to reach out to someone you've been prejudiced about. Perhaps maybe on the other side, perhaps it's the hungry heart for God that you need to respond to, to take that hungry heart for God and go to Jesus. Perhaps there's someone out there that has a hungry heart and God wants to use you to bring them to Jesus Christ. Who knows? But God knows your heart. Maybe you're connected online and and. And God has arranged this meeting tonight for you to be here. Maybe even tonight for your hungry heart to be filled with Jesus Christ. Maybe you understand what that hungry heart means and you have been hungry. Maybe it's time to come back to Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to fill that void with things that only Jesus can fill. That God-shaped void in your heart. You know, the early church father, Augustine, says, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. I like that. So, God arranged this meeting, and it's because he sees their God-hungry heart. All right, let's go to number two now, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And here we're going to look at verse 34 through 43 here. Let's look at verse 34 and 35. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, Peter begins to share what the Lord wanted him, wanted him to come and do. And that's really to share the gospel. And so he's beginning here, goes, you know, I really understand, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. He, he confesses that I get it now. God has spoken to me. That God is not partial to any race, any partiality, and any, I'm, I'm sorry, not nationality. Uh, you don't, in other words, I understand he's talking to Gentiles. You don't have to be a Jew to be saved. But in every nation, anybody, any race who fears God and does what is right is acceptable to him. It means, acceptable here means uh, God will work with the one who honors him. In other words, God takes notice of those who live up to the light they have. Cornelius only had so much light and God honored that. God noticed that. Noticed that. that. God noticed Cornelius truly had this hungry heart for God. And he tried to do the best. He knew how. But he was still short of salvation. And God noticed. And, and so God sent Peter there. Cornelius tried to live up to whatever light, whatever information he had. But he still wasn't saved. We'll, we'll see that in Acts eleven fourteen. So God reaches out to someone seeking like this. God's grace really arranges the gospel to be heard. And Peter really is saying this here in verse 34, 35. Salvation is available to all. Anyone who's seeking, salvation is available. So verse 36 through verse 43 now, Peter lays out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, first of all, in verse 36 and verse 37... He puts out there, first of all, Jesus is Lord God. And that's important when we're sharing the gospel. Look at verse 36. Peter says, And for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, from the baptism that John proclaimed. Oh, wait, I skipped something, did I? No, okay. Oh, no. Yeah, I didn't. Got it. After the baptism that John proclaimed. So here's Peter saying, look, the word of God, first of all, came through Israel. Uh, and then it, it came to everyone. And they, it went out. 
through Jesus Christ. He, he's the Lord. He's, he's the Lord. And you guys know what happened. In other words, you heard of Jesus. You know what happened from the baptism of John the Baptist when he, when he first proclaimed that God was here, that God is here, and we'll see that next part. So first of all, basically, Jesus lays out, I mean, Peter lays out that Jesus is the Lord God who came to the earth in a human body, that he is, he, he is God, um, he is also man. So Peter's laying out here, you've heard about him, you, he came, uh, uh, the story from his baptism, and this is Jesus, he's the Lord who came. And that's the basic sense of this. Then in verse 38, in the first part of 39, Peter says Jesus came as the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed one, empowered by God. So verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. So Peter's saying, you guys know, right? He helped people. Uh, he healed people. There was miracles done. You heard about that he, he's a savior. He, he saved people. He rescued people. And we witnessed that as disciples. Jesus came as the Savior, the Messiah, basically, Jesus Christ. The word Christ is actually meaning Messiah. Then Peter mentions how Jesus died on the cross. The end of verse 39. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. So perhaps we don't see it written here, but I'm sure Peter probably spoke a little bit here about the atonement for sin as Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So we see Peter basically establishing, look, Jesus is God, the Lord who came to this earth. He came as the Messiah. Uh, we saw him, we witnessed, he did all his miracles, but then he died. He died on the cross. But that's not the end. Verse 40 and 41, Jesus rose from the dead. Says verse forty, but God raised him on the third day and made him to to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So Peter saying, look, he died on the cross, but he rose again from the dead. Verse forty and forty one. Now he didn't he didn't appear, or uh, not everyone saw him alive from the dead. In other words, it wasn't a public appearance, but to those believers, those who were actually chosen to testify to the fact that he was risen from the dead. And us, the disciples, apostles, they drank, they ate with him um, after he rose from the dead. So Jesus is God who's come, the Lord, he's the Messiah, he died on a cross, he rose from the dead. And then verse 42, Jesus basically is king of all after he rose from the dead. And so verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So here, uh, Peter saying he commanded us, the disciples, to preach, to share the gospel, testifying that God has now appointed him to be king, to sit on the throne, to be the Lord, and that he is the one whose people are going to face when they die that they're going to face him, and he'll be the judge of the living and the dead. So Jesus basically is the king, the king of all. And then in verse 43, the last thing in his message, he says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So he brings it all in to say this. Jesus is the only way to be saved. There's no other way. He confirms what the Old testament scriptures saying what the prophets had prophesied and saying look it's only the messiah it's only through him he's the savior and the old testament says that and so if you believe anyone who believes in jesus you will be forgiven and it's only in the name of jesus no other name as peter said in in another uh sermon no other name can anyone be saved but jesus christ so i went through this quick because it took a long time in the first part. But Jesus is the Lord, uh, verse 36 and 37, that um, Jesus came as the Messiah, 38, 39, second part, 39. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus rose from the dead, verse 40, 41. Jesus is king of all. And verse 43, Jesus is the only way to be saved. Only through his name can we be 
forgiven. So in, here in this section, we see that Peter clearly lays out and presents the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's come now. Remember, Cornelius, his household, his, his relatives, his, his friends, they're here. They're, they're, they're waiting to hear all that Peter wants to say. And this is what uh, is the answer to Cornelius' prayer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter lays out and presents the gospel of Jesus Christ here. Take a moment, turn over to the next book, to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10. And it's like, it's like what Peter did, Paul writes, actually, here. And it, in, I'm going to bring in some other verses that really talk about what's happening here in chapter 10, too. If you can turn to Romans 10, if you look at verse 9, and we know this verse. Verse 9, because if you f- confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, there's that Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, I mean, he died on a cross and rose again from the dead, you will be saved. I like that. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. In other words, we have that assurance that when we believe in Christ, we will be forgiven and we will have eternal life. And then verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek or Jew and Gentile. For the same Lord is the Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him, the riches of salvation. So isn't that great? What we're reading and studying, you can go back to Acts chapter 10, is what Paul wrote there. That, that Jew and Gentile brought together. It's the same Jesus who saves. And here's Peter doing this very thing, is bringing the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ to these Gentiles, to these guys who are seeking God, who seem they are God-fearing, who seem they are following God the best that they could with the light that they had, but they were not saved. But now their seeking is brought to completion well, as Peter lays out and presents the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I have to say, as we come to this point before we go on, have you really come to a place to be saved? I mean, really, you know, like we can go to church or we can follow God, but have you really repented? Have you really believed in Christ? If you haven't, God is really reaching out here. These guys, oh, they're waiting. They want to know God, but they weren't at that point. And now as Peter presents the gospel, they're going to be saved. We're going to see that in this next section. But sometimes we can be going through the rituals thinking we're okay, but we're really not. And I was thinking about John Wesley. He uh, actually was a founder of the Methodist Church way back when. But John Wesley, actually, for his career, was a minister, a missionary. He was a son of a pastor. He went to church. Um, he, when he was in college, he, he joined a religious club. Uh, he actually went on mission trips to America. He served God in ministry. He seems like he was saved, but you know what? He wasn't. There's a, the story goes that on May 24, 1738, Wesley attended a small meeting in London where someone read Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. And John Wesley was listening in on this. And the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart. And he was changed. And this is what he writes. While he was, the person reading, was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me. Now, this is amazing because here's a guy, he's a pastor already. He's got mission trips. He, he does church work, all of that. But he came to a place where he realized, I wasn't really totally saved in Christ. I wasn't relying upon the cross and his work. It was more rituals, more, more what motions he was going through. Some seem like 
they're saying, but it's just outside kind of works. Yeah? But the reality, it has to be an inside work. The reality is we've got to have a real heart for Jesus, a God-hungry heart. And that's what's really Cornelius, his household, what brought them to a true saving faith in Christ Jesus. All right. Our last thing is the gracious baptism of the Spirit. And this is verse 44 through 48. We see in the God-hungry heart, number one, the God-arranged meeting. Number two, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now the gracious baptism of the Spirit. Verse 44, it says, While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling or exalting God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. So Peter, while he's speaking here, while he's sharing the gospel here, while he's saying these things, we read in verse 44, the Holy Spirit came and fell on all who heard. Everyone in that room, the Gentiles in that room, they were filled, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now we have to understand here, in order for that to happen, they must have believed in their heart the gospel, right? I mean, that, that's really the first step. To go to God, to receive Christ, to surrender your heart to the Lord. That, that's what we see throughout Acts. That's what we know today when you receive Christ. That you be, when you believe in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit comes. And so that had to happen here. So I believe they believed in their heart as Peter spoke. As Peter shared the gospel, it was all clicking in their minds. Everything that they knew and heard about Jesus was all coming together. Everything that maybe little bits and pieces about the story of Jesus and his baptism with John and his, his ministry to the earth, his death and resurrection. Uh, maybe Peter spoke about it. Maybe they heard, oh, it's the cross. It's through his blood. We're atoned for our sins. Maybe all these things were clicking and, and, and they all believed there. The Holy Spirit moved in a great way. And I believe that's what happened. Because the next thing, happened was the Holy Spirit came and filled them, baptized them. They're baptized by the Spirit. And we read here in verse 46, they start speaking in tongues. They started manifesting the gift of tongues and extolling or exalting God. This was unprecedented, you guys. Never before has Gentiles been baptized in the Spirit here in the book of Acts. It was the Jewish guys. It was the Samaritan guys. And now we're seeing the Gentiles were being saved and filled with the Spirit. Versus the Jews, right, at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit came, and what was the evidence of the Spirit? They were speaking in tongues. It was an outward evidence there. Next was the Samaritans. Remember when Peter and John came, they heard the revival was going on. They had not yet been baptized with the Spirit they prayed over them, and then they were speaking in, in tongues, most likely. And now here, the Gentiles, Cornelius and his household there. Uh, after Peter preached, they believed the Spirit came upon them, and the evidence that they were saved is that they were speaking in tongues. And so they believed in, in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit baptized them. Now, we've talked about this before. Um, to be baptized or in the Spirit, uh, the only, um, it's not the only evidence is speaking in tongues. That, you know, it, it could be other things. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, not everybody speaks in tongues and all that. So uh, some people hold to that, but that's not uh, what is being proved here. What is being shown, think about this, to Peter, right, a Jewish Christian man, what is being shown to Peter that, whoa, the Spirit has come upon them. That these guys are saved. That's what's being shown to him. That when the Samaritans, right, they, um, when they got the Spirit, that was shown to them. Just like for himself, what he experienced is when he was 
when Pentecost came and the Spirit came, which uh, empowered and capped everything what God is doing when you come to Jesus Christ. So, and some people feel like, oh, well, look, the Samaritans, they didn't receive the Spirit till later. Remember, we were talking about that. But I believe God uh, didn't baptize them with the Spirit until Peter and John came and they prayed so they could see, oh, they are really being saved. Here, it just it happened right away. And so you can't make a doctrine like, uh, oh, well, it's this, it always comes later. There's this second touch thing that will come later, that kind of... No, sometimes it, it comes right away. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is in us right at salvation. He comes in, regenerates us, and starts working in our life. So here is the gracious baptism of the Spirit here. It's interesting, in verse 45, the believers, these Jewish believers, from the, among the circumcised, meaning the Jews, the ones who came with Peter, they're amazed. They, they're seeing this too. They see the same gift, the Holy Spirit. And later, they're going to be testifying also with Peter to the other uh, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem in the next chapter that, no, this is real. God is really saving the, the Gentiles. And so, Peter, no one can deny that these guys are saved. That's why Peter's like, hey, can anyone withhold water? Verse 47, for baptizing, right? After you're saved, the next thing Jesus wanted was to water baptism uh, as a public show, a symbol of, of what God has done, uh, what, what Jesus commanded. So, they were baptized, and then Peter hung out for them for a while. So it was important for Peter and the others who came with them, him to see that Gentiles really can be saved in Jesus Christ. But if you think about it, Jesus was already saying this. When Jesus was with the disciples, he was already saying this. He wasn't saying, oh, just the Jews, right? Remember John 3.16, right? For God so loved what? The world. The world. Everyone. That he gave his only son that, what? Whoever, the old King James, whosoever, right? Whoever, it's not all just the Jews or the Jews and the Samaritans. It's whoever, anyone, Jew or Gentile, believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God had to work with the Jewish Christians to get it out of their minds that it is whoever. It is the world. It's everyone. And that's why you and I, we need to cut down our prejudices. Cut down those that maybe are going against yeah, my principles. We need to love them. We need to understand our mission here on this earth. It's to reach them. It's not to compromise. Sin is sin. But we're sinners too. And we are to reach out to those. I remember on a trip... <laughs> to Hilo, uh, we ran into different people, <laughs> different walks of life, and you know, and but I, I felt like, wow, Lord, we're there for a reason. There's one, there's one young kid on the plane, and he was trying to be funny and ordered his beer and everything and all that, and and telling the the flight attendant, oh, it's my birthday, and just you know, and all that, and uh, her cross. You know, from us. And then um, when we got the Hilo, and Kristen stopped by the restroom, I was waiting for her. And all of a sudden, he comes out of the restroom, and I'm face to face with him. And he starts talking to me, you know, and says, like, Hey, it's my birthday. And I go, All oh, right, huh? Yeah, good. Happy birthday. And he's talking story. Yeah, I'm here, my family. And, you know, I just felt like from the Lord, you know, I don't, I, I'm not going to like block him off because he's, he's, you know, there's alcohol in his breath or anything. I just felt like from the Lord, I looked him in the eye and said, Hey, may Jesus bless you. He's the name Jesus. May Jesus bless you on your birthday. May you have a blessed day, a birth, blessed birthday in Jesus. And you can see him go, Yeah, 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 you know, kind of thing. But sometimes we, 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 we kind of cower. Sometimes we go, Oh, oh, forget that person, you know, because of this or that. And it's like throughout our trip, I was running into different people. I fell on my heart. No, God. So God loves the whole world and whoever believes. 
So, as with anyone, Jew or Gentile, God grace, God's grace is what works in salvation, right? And here, we see the evidence of salvation in Jesus is clearly seen by the gracious baptism of the Spirit. The gracious baptism of the Spirit. Peter's eyes, I think, are being totally open now. His heart has changed, but now it's all confirmed what God has been doing here from the sheet coming down from from him go go now go to this gentile's house everything's coming together and he sees that gentiles can be saved and not only that god's not holding back the holy spirit the baptism of the spirit and you know that's for us today don't think that god's holding back don't think that well you're unworthy no You're worthy because Christ died for you. Don't think that the power of the Spirit can't work in your life in the same way. The Spirit can work. We have the Holy Spirit. We have God in our lives because of Jesus Christ. I was thinking about, for me, you know, I go surf. I like surfing. And it's it's not just, oh, being out in the ocean, God's creation. And that, you know, his beautiful creation, that's awesome, too. It's it's more than oh, and that first duck dive under the the wave and come up, and there's just that release, you know, just being in the water. It's more than uh, getting exercise, you know, for me. But but it's all of those things. But but you know what the fun thing is to feel the power and surge of the wave, right? And you kind of whoa, that that that's so cool. That push of, of you know, the wave and what God made to propel you on the surfboard. And I was thinking about that. Listen, that that's like the, our life with the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said in Acts 1-8, you shall have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power, you guys. When we come to church, it's, it's not just enjoying, you know, our fellowship together, enjoying the service, the, the worship, the word and all that, enjoying the presence of God. It's not just, oh, that, that feeling of peace when we pray or when we read our Bible. It, it's not just, oh, hearing the assurance that we have heaven in, in, you know, in our future. But it's the dynamic of the Holy Spirit working powerfully in you. Where the Holy Spirit is like gushing like water. That's what these guys are experiencing. That's what Peter's saying, seeing. Whoa. They're, 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 they're filled with the Spirit. Jesus said in John 4 19, the second part, because I live, you also will live. And the thing is, are you really living? Or are you just existing? Is the power of the Spirit. Like rivers of living water, Jesus said, coming out, empowering you. Are you walking in the Spirit in that way? That's what these guys experience. I'm not saying you got to speak in tongues or anything like that. But it's the power of the Spirit flowing in you, and, and, and you feel that power. Or are you just kind of struggling along? God doesn't want that. God wants you to live, live with Him, live in Him. To experience God through you, working through you, speaking through you. That's what it means to live. Once you taste that kind of life with Jesus, there's there's nothing else that that comes close, you guys. There's nothing else that that will satisfy you. And I say this, I'm closing up with this. Are you hungry for that? I am, I am. I want more of that. I want more of God in my life. That's what it means. I'm interacting with God. I'm getting deeper with God. I see Him moving in my life. I'm just a servant of the Lord. I just want to be a tool for God, and that is through the power of the Spirit working in me. I'll close with this. The French have a proverb that goes like this. A good meal ought to begin with hunger. I think, I think that's good, yeah? In other words, it's hard to enjoy a meal when you're not hungry, right? But when you're hungry, whoa, everything tastes good, yeah? Everything does. So, so it is with God. Let's get hungry for God. 
like before. Let's find God and, 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 and see everything in God, everything in our life, what's going on. Let's see him move in our life, in and out, what he does, what he works through in us, how he answers our prayer, how dynamic it is with the Holy Spirit. When we find God in our lives, you'll hunger for more. And, and know this, that, that's true contentment, really, when he fills us. Yeah. So let's go for God. Let's go for the Holy Spirit working in our life. Let's, let's, let's be like, you can see how hungry Cornelius was. He brought his friends. He's like, we're waiting here. Oh, Peter, come speak. And then as soon as, you know, Peter spoke. I mean, we read that sermon. And it's like, well, I don't know. But they're so hungry and the Holy Spirit was there. Oh, it was powerful. And they got saved and the Holy Spirit came. And can you imagine the Holy Spirit in them? And now you thought they were excited before, right? So let God work in your life like that. And it comes to those who have the God-hungry heart. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we close up here, God, I ask that you work in our life in that way. And God, that you would move powerfully, God. And even as we worship you in one last song, may your spirit move and minister and fill us now. God, give us hungry hearts, hungry hearts for you. In Jesus' name, amen.